morning, and may the Lord be with you. I am so glad to be virtually with you today, as I have been watching the live stream over the past few months. And I'm looking forward to whenever I'm able to come in person again for worship. And since I can't right now, I'm so very grateful to Pastor Odd and Pastor Stephen and the tech team for making it possible for me to continue my internship this way. As we turn to God's word, let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are already nearer to us than we are to ourselves. As we hear your word, turn us toward you and guide us so that in your light we may see light, in your truth we may find freedom, and in your will we may discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Today, we're continuing in our Back to Basics series. Last week, we talked about the covenant, a promise with provision that God made to Abram and Sarai. And we've started to notice that names can be important in these stories. God renames Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah, because they will be the parents of many people, and Abraham means father of many. And they do have a son who is named Isaac, which means he laughs, because Abraham and Sarah laughed at the idea of having a son in their old age. Now Isaac has grown up and married Rebecca, and they have two sons, Jacob and Esau. Abraham has descendants, and things seem to be going according to plan. Just like their parents, Jacob and Esau have names that describe them. Esau's name probably means hairy, and Esau will go on to be the ancestor of a nation called Edom, which means red, because apparently the most notable things about Esau are his hair and his redness, which personally I find fairly relatable. But other than those few details, we don't know a lot about Esau. His brother Jacob is the one we usually talk about more because the rest of Genesis follows the story of Jacob. Jacob is the chosen one who will carry on the covenant that God made with his grandfather Abraham. And Jacob's name means he deceives or he supplants. He uproots and takes the place of someone else. It seems like an odd name for the one God chooses to carry on the covenant, the promise that's meant to bless all the world. But as we'll read today, Jacob's name is accurate because God's chosen family is a pretty dysfunctional one. So I know we get enough of these from Pastor Stephen, but if you'll forgive one more Marvel movie reference, Jacob is kind of like the character Loki. He's a trickster. He's interesting. He's clever. He's smart. He gets around his problems with a few well-placed lies. And then there's Esau. If Jacob is the Loki of the Genesis cinematic universe, Esau is like the off-brand Thor without the superhero friends, the lightning powers, or the cool magic hammer. He's a warrior. He's strong. He's a hunter. 
and it seems that he's just dumb enough to fall for Jacob's schemes. The conflict between Jacob and Esau centers around the benefits that come with being the oldest. Even though Jacob and Esau are twins, Esau is technically the older one. It might not seem all that important with the way we talk about birth order today. Which sibling is the stereotypical oldest child, how much the youngest gets away with, and so on. But in the time of Jacob and Esau, birth order really matters. The oldest son gets the birthright and the blessing. The birthright is the biggest portion of the inheritance. It's the right to be the next head of the family when their father dies. And by the time we get to the story we're reading today, Jacob, the younger twin, has already conned Esau out of his birthright. When Isaac dies, Jacob will get the biggest share of the family estate, and Jacob will replace Esau as the next head of the family. All Esau has left is the blessing. And here we need to put our 21st century minds on pause because this blessing isn't quite what we think of when we think about blessings. The blessing isn't just a nice wish that things will go well for him in the future. In the Old Testament, a blessing is a life-changing event. A blessing gives someone a special role. We might call it a vocation and equips them with everything they need to fill that role. This story shows us that something actually happens when Isaac speaks the words of the blessing to his son. We might think of this similarly to the way God spoke creation into being in Genesis 1. Those words shape the world. And here in Genesis 27, these words shape the life of the person who receives them. And if a blessing has already been given, you can't give it to someone else. It's done. This blessing is a big deal. Words have power. So, knowing that, we come to Genesis 27. The story starts with Isaac, old, blind, lying on his deathbed. And he calls Esau, who is his favorite son. And he says, Esau, my son, I know I'm going to die. So please, one last time, would you go out and hunt for me like we used to? And make the food you know I like. And after dinner, I'll give you my blessing. So Esau goes. But Rebecca has been eavesdropping. She goes to Jacob, who is her favorite son, and she has a plan. While Esau is out hunting, she cooks up some savory food that she knows her husband likes. And she dresses Jacob in some of Esau's clothes. And since Esau is so hairy and Jacob isn't, she even covers Jacob's arms with goat hides to disguise him in case Isaac touches him. Then Rebekah sends Jacob in to Isaac. And Isaac, who cannot see his son's face, says, Who are you? Who's there? And Jacob 
lies. I am Esau, your firstborn, he says. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game so that you may bless me. Jacob fools his father into thinking that Esau is already back. And Isaac blesses Jacob instead. Here at verse 30 is where the part of the story we will read today picks up. One quick note if you'd like to follow along. I'm reading from the NRSV today. Listen for the word of the Lord. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of his father Isaac, his brother Esau came in from his hunting. He also prepared savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father sit up and eat of his son's game, so that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your firstborn son, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and blessed he shall be. When Esau heard his father's words, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and look, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have already made him your Lord, and I have given him all his brothers as servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, father? Bless me, me also, father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then his father Isaac answered him, See, away from the fatness of the earth shall your home be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you break loose, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of her elder son Esau were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is consoling himself by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger against you turns away, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you back from there. Why should I lose both of you? 
in one day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What do we make of a story like this? Esau has done everything exactly as he's supposed to. He spends hours tracking, cleaning, preparing, cooking, crafting this meal for his father who loves him. Until he gets to his father's bedside, holds out the tray with its savory aroma of herbs and spices, and hears the unexpected question. Who are you? Who are you? Esau the strong, Esau the brave, Esau the favorite son of his father has already come and gone and his father does not know the man who stands before him now. Who are you, Esau? Without the hunting, the hair, the birthright and blessing that seem to exist just for Jacob to steal them? What is left for you? Your brother has claimed every defining trait that the narrative tells us about you. You have been uprooted, supplanted by your brother, who is now your Lord, who has taken the grain and the wine and everything that you have. Who are you? You're nobody. A nameless, faceless, good-for-nothing shadow of your brother. The angry plotter of a murder that doesn't happen. The not chosen one. It doesn't seem to matter what Esau does. Jacob always wins. Maybe that is why we tend to talk more about Jacob than about Esau. And maybe that is why Esau asks as he weeps, Have you only one blessing, Father? Surely there's something left for me. Have you not reserved a blessing for me? I'm not nobody, am I? His father's answer is not a blessing. He simply names what Esau will not have. None of the fatness of the earth, none of the dew of heaven on high. His life will be defined by his brother. Even the promise that he will break loose because there has to be someone for him to break loose from. There is no blessing left for Esau. Only a non-blessing for a nobody. Do you ever feel like a nobody? Maybe it was in second grade when your best friend decided to be best friends with someone else. Or when you graduated high school and had to figure out who you were all over again. Maybe it was the week you went into work and found out that your job wasn't there anymore. Maybe it was the day of the family wedding you weren't invited to. Maybe it's every morning and night as you're lying in bed, wondering if whatever you did in between made a difference. Maybe it's right now, wherever you're sitting watching this in the midst of a bitterly divisive election season and a worldwide pandemic that doesn't seem to have an end in sight. What do you do when you feel like a nobody? And what do you do when it seems that God thinks you're a nobody too? 
That's the question I find between the lines of this story. Because in the entire chapter, God doesn't even make a cameo. From verse 1 to verse 45, God doesn't do anything. God is not a subject of a single verb outside of one of Jacob's lies and the blessing itself. And the blessing isn't even a part of this text that we read because Isaac gave it to Jacob, not Esau. And other than that, God is not mentioned at all. Doesn't God see what's happening? God chose these people, this family. Why doesn't God stop this? Why does God pick Jacob the thief, Jacob the scoundrel, Jacob the favored one for no apparent reason? And if it has to be Jacob, why couldn't God's blessing work out for him in a way that wouldn't destroy this fragile family? What kind of a God is this? God, who are you? What do we do when God seems so distant that we don't even know who God is? Or perhaps worse, when it seems like God is the God of someone else. God's name will go down in scripture, the story of God and God's people, as the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, not the God of Esau. We don't know who Esau thought God was. Esau just fades out of the story and the covenant continues through Jacob. In the grand scheme of things, there isn't much reason to remember Esau. Jacob's the one chosen on to carry the line of the covenant family. Esau's descendants, the people of Edom, are Israel's enemies. Actually, if we're only concerned with Israel, the story could easily have skipped this section entirely. In terms of fulfilling God's promise to Abraham, Jacob is the only brother who matters. The first two-thirds of Genesis 27 tell the whole story of how Jacob got the blessing. The writer could have stopped there at verse 29 and skipped right to verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. Esau would just be a handy plot device to send Jacob off to Laban to find a wife or two. Jacob is the one who matters. There's no reason for that story, for Jacob's story, to include this heartbreaking moment between Isaac and Esau. There's no reason to include Esau's exceedingly great and bitter cry or his desperate plea, bless me, me also, Father. There's no reason to bother with this nobody. The story doesn't need Esau. And yet, here he is. The writer of Genesis can't seem to let Esau go. Interspersed throughout the rest of Genesis, we read here and there about Esau's marriages, how years later he goes out to meet his brother, the man who took everything from him, and opens his arms to welcome him. And a few pages after that, an entire chapter is dedicated to naming Esau and his descendants. The story doesn't need him to go on. But Esau 
is still part of it. I wonder if this is the hope for Esau. He is part of the story of God and God's people. This is the word of the Lord. Millennia later, we who share this same story, because this is our story too, we remember and give thanks for the story of Esau. Even within the story itself, Esau is not forgotten after the blessing is given to him, stolen from him. The one who remembers him is his mother, Rebecca, of all people. Rebecca, whose favorite is Jacob, who orchestrated the entire plot for Jacob to steal the blessing from Esau. Rebecca asks, why should I lose both of you in one day? It isn't much, but it's there. Esau is still Rebecca's son. Someone, the least likely person even, remembers him. Does God? Does God remember Esau? Genesis doesn't answer. But Esau's presence here and there throughout the rest of the book makes me wonder. God proves time and time again in Scripture that God works through the people who do everything wrong and takes up the cause of the people everyone else forgets. And we believe that that same God inspires Scripture and that the Holy Spirit works in and through human beings who have told these stories for generation after generation, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau until now. Even though God is hardly acknowledged in this passage, God still inspired the writer of Genesis to put it down on paper and to include Esau in it. Might the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob also be the God of Esau? The God of those who lose it all. God of those who make mistakes. God of the fools. God of the nobodies. God who sits down and shares meals with the ones on the edges of our stories. Who brings down the powerful and lifts up the lowly. God who becomes human for people who do not deserve it. God even of us. When we feel forgotten, when we feel like nobodies, when we can hardly begin to imagine that God cares about us, we can still have hope that one day we will know what it's like to know that again. When I do see people face to face these days, often they ask me how I'm doing or what I've been up to since we last saw each other. The answer I found myself giving more often than not is, well, I'm still here. I say it kind of jokingly, but it's also just true. A lot has changed in these last six or so months. I don't see the people I used to see all the time very often, and that makes it easy to feel forgettable. But I'm still here. And even though that doesn't always feel like much, there is hope in that. I can't always or often see how. But I do believe that God is still here, too. 
This story leaves us to sit with the unanswered questions. What do we make of a God who doesn't act the way we expect? What do we do when life isn't fair and the story isn't resolved? What do we do with Esau? Who are you, Esau? You're the not-really-bad guy in a story you didn't write. You're the firstborn son of a doting father and a mother who masterminded your downfall. You're the brother of a trickster who always seems to get his way. You're the father of the wrong nation, the loser of dysfunctional family games, the one who gets left behind. You're nobody. And yet, we receive the word of the Lord, and in it, we remember you. So, friends, who are you? Are you nobody too? Whom do you remember? Whom have you forgotten? And who remembers you? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.